Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode 42, The Armor of God, The Helmet of Salvation. So we'll continue on in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So today we're doing the helmet of salvation. It seems like there doesn't need to be much said about a helmet. It, it would be pretty obvious that this protects your head. If you don't have your head protected and you get hit in the head, the rest of your body and your armor is pretty much useless. So you have to protect your head because you'll die if you don't, right, in, a, in war. I would argue that this is the most important piece of armor. What's the point of having anything else and fighting in a spiritual battle if you're not even a believer in God? That's what this is about. Make sure of this piece of armor, that you have the helmet of salvation. What is salvation according to the Bible? Well, very simply, there's a couple of verses that, that go over it, and I'm sure most of you have heard these. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, and that's talking about the second death in hell, but have everlasting life. And when you listen to what Jesus said in other parts of the Bible, he's talking about heaven, having life in heaven. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then we have the Romans road, and I'm sure you've, you've heard of that if you've been a believer for any long period of time. It's three passages in the book of Romans, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and Romans 10.9 and 10. So Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means we're all sinners. Nobody's perfect. We are not gods. This makes us fall short of the perfection that is God. So we cannot meet, we cannot attain goodness enough to get to heaven. So think of trying to cross the Grand Canyon. If you're trying to jump across the Grand Canyon, you have nothing to help you. It's just you, your own physical strength and capabilities, right? This is like a metaphor of the Grand Canyon is the gulf between earth and heaven. Okay, You've got to get to the other side to get to heaven. you got to be perfect. you got to meet God's standard of, of jumping. Okay, Well, I'm going to make it like maybe eight feet. If I'm really scared back up really far, I might make it 15 feet into the Grand Canyon and I'm going to fall and die. I'm not going to make it to the other side. Olympic gold medalist might be able to do 25 or 30 feet. I don't know. But they're still going to fall far short and not make it to the other side. And they're going to fall down and die. doesn't matter how good you are. There is not a human being alive that of their own power and strength can jump across the Grand Canyon. That's kind of the way I look at the glory of God. We are not anywhere close to perfect. There's no way we can get close enough to be God. So we fall short, right? So what's the consequence of that? Romans 6, 23. 
for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So a wage is something you've earned. You've worked for it. You've earned it. You deserve it. It's coming to you because it's yours. Death is ours. And that means death in hell. We are going to hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we can get to heaven. How do you get a gift? When does a gift become yours? When my parents buy me a gift at Christmas time and they have the gift hidden in their closet, is it mine? No. When it's under the tree on Christmas Eve, is it mine? No. When they say all those gifts are yours under the tree, can I make use of it? Is it mine yet? No. Not until I pick it up and accept it. God offers eternal life through Jesus Christ as a gift so that we don't have to go to hell. God offers heaven to everybody. Why, don't, why doesn't everybody go to heaven? Because they don't accept it. There's the crux of the whole matter. Your acceptance of God, your acceptance of the free gift is the only condition. So many people want to blame God for sending people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. You're going to hell. It's your wage. It's what you've earned. If you don't want to go to hell, all you have to do is accept the gift that God offers. It's not a a list of do's and don'ts and, oh, you have to follow the Ten Commandments. No, no, no. God says all have sinned. You've fallen short. You can't do it on your own. So here's a gift. If you don't take it, that's on you. That's not God's fault. So that's salvation, right? And then here's how you do it. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You have to actually believe that Jesus Christ is God, and that he died on the cross for our sins, and that God raised him from the dead. Now there's lots of Bible verses that go into that, and tell you that Jesus Christ is God. But that is the core of what salvation is. You have to know who Jesus Christ is and that he died for you and accept that free gift and you'll be saved. It's simply belief. It's not a series of actions that you have to do. A couple more verses I wanted to read in regards to that, and that kind of proves what I've been talking about. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by our faith, by merely believing in God and putting our trust in him. We'll talk about faith here in just a minute. But it has nothing to do with your works. God doesn't want you to be able to boast. That would be a sin. Pride, right? Oh, I got to heaven because I was good enough. My brother didn't make it or whatever, you know. No, no, no. You're not going to be able to boast. Everyone that makes it to heaven is there because God gave them a free gift. That's it. And we all get the same gift. No one's better than anybody else. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God offers the gift to everybody, and he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. What does this helmet of salvation save us from? Well, number one, it saves us from hell. Matthew 25, 41. This is Jesus speaking. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Keep in mind, he did not make hell for us. God prepared hell for the devil and his angels. And he doesn't want us to go there, so he offers us a way out. He literally paid the price, so we don't have to go with his own blood. 
God isn't sending anyone to hell. We are making the choice to not change our destination. Everybody's on the road to hell and there's an exit and a blinking sign and Jesus standing there saying, turn, turn. And we have the free will to turn away from hell and accept Christ and go to heaven. The other thing it saves us from is being a slave to our sin nature. Uh, if you want to explore what is a sin nature, go to uh, listen to episode 25. I go into that in detail there. But we are born with a sin nature, and that is why we're going to hell, and that is why we struggle with doing things wrong all the time. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So we have this spiritual idea of when we're born in our sin nature, we are dead. There's nothing we can do except for sin. Verse 2, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's a reference to Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. When you become saved, when you believe in Jesus Christ, that is when we have that new life where we are no longer dead in sin, but as this verse calls it, we are quickened or made alive. By Christ. So we do not have to follow that sin nature anymore. Now we are free and we have a choice. Now we can follow God. We can do what God wants. We can do the things that are in the Bible, all those lists of do's and don'ts. That comes after you become a Christian, after you have this helmet of salvation. Now you try and do the right thing. And it's because God has saved us from hell, we should be willing to do things just out of gratefulness. But now we have a duty as a soldier of Christ to follow him. Now that we know what salvation is and what it saves us from, you also have to understand that the Bible clearly tells us it gives us the hope of heaven. So again, Jesus is speaking in John 14, verse 2. It says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And of course, we know after he spoke this, he went up into heaven. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where you go, and how can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. So we have the hope of heaven through Jesus Christ. That's the helmet of salvation. So how can we be sure once we're a believer? How can we be sure that we have this helmet of salvation, that we are safe and protected and that we are going to heaven? Well, number one, God doesn't lie. Romans 10, 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He wouldn't be God if he lied. Titus 1, 1 and 2 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So, number one, if you've done this and you've put your belief and faith in Jesus Christ, 
then what you need to do is when you have doubt is a self-reflection. You have to analyze your own mind because we know that God's fulfilled his part. He will do it. He doesn't lie. The only question is, do you really believe? Faith in God actually has three parts. Number one is knowledge. Have you actually read the Bible? Do you know what you believe? Or is it just that you heard things through the internet, like me talking, or maybe from a preacher or a friend telling you God loves you, right? Have you only heard these things or have you actually sought out the truth and read the Bible for yourself? The reason I read these Bible verses to you is so that you can actually look them up and read them for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Find a Bible or, or go online and search for those verses that I read and I give you those references. Make sure that you actually know, have knowledge, okay? That's the first thing in faith. The second thing is trust that what you have knowledge about is actually true. The Bible is from God and it is true, 100%. It is inerrant. That means it comes from God and there, there is no fault or contradiction in it. So you have knowledge and then you have trust and then you have to make a willful choice to put your faith in God. You have to choose to believe. If you haven't made that choice, then you just have knowledge. There's lots of atheists that have knowledge of these Bible verses, but they choose not to believe. And they'll tell you that, that they choose not to believe, right? So they know things, but they don't have trust that those things are true. And therefore they have chosen not to believe. Hebrews chapter 11 is a really good chapter to read. I'm just going to read like the first 10 verses of it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God created everything out of nothing. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaks. So to us, we can hear, we can learn from the faith of Abel. Then verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So by faith... Enoch believed in God. And then if you read in the Old Testament about Enoch, he just disappeared. And this word translated is the reference to him being taken to heaven. So Enoch just went to heaven. He never died. And then verse six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not as yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So all these great people of the Bible had faith in God and then acted upon it. So that's why I say faith 
is having that trust in God, in the knowledge that you have learned about God, but then choosing. That means you are acting on that faith, on that belief, and you're choosing to put your life in his hands, to have faith in him 100% that what he says is true and that you will go to heaven and that he is God. Then if you look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all those people of faith mentioned in the previous chapter, let us lay aside every weight and the sin with which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And God is in heaven, and Jesus said we could be with him. So what does this helmet of salvation mean to us? Well, we should be disciplined and strong in our fight. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We can have confidence that God is going to help us in this spiritual war. We can train our mind where it says casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought. Okay. So we need to discipline our brains, our minds. So you could look at that as the helmet protecting our mind as well. And then act on it being in readiness to revenge all disobedience. We can be very confident knowing that God is stronger than anything else in this world and that he's got our back. But we also have to train and be disciplined and train our brain to actually think the right things. Second Corinthians 5, 6 says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So he's saying we know that we are absent from God. We're not in heaven. We're walking around in this body on this earth. But we still have faith in God. And because of that faith, we can have confidence. And then we know that as soon as we die, we will be present with the Lord. We will be in heaven. Philippians 1.14 says, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So when we see other Christians that are suffering, knowing that Paul was in bondage in jail because of his faith, they were actually emboldened to speak the gospel message without fear because of the way that Paul handled himself when he went to jail. He still, he witnessed to the guards he sang songs rather than losing faith. So we can be courageous and not have fear. Two different things. Courage is action despite your fear. God tells us that we don't even need to fear the world or the devil. This is one of my favorite passages is Psalm 23 verse four. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So two themes there. In the valley of the shadow of death, do not fear evil. And know that God will be with you, and at the end you will dwell with God forever. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. So, in conclusion, there's three things you need to know here. The helmet of salvation is necessary. There's no reason to fight if you're not a, if you're not a believer. We need to be sure that we have it fixed to our head, or all is lost. So you need to be able to actually evaluate yourself, analyze yourself in your mind and figure out if you actually have that faith, that three parts. You have to have knowledge. So search the Bible, trust that what you are reading is true, that it is from God. And you need to make a willful free will choice to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, that gives us the assurance that we're on the right side, that we have the ability to fight, that God is with us. We don't need to fear death, and we are promised a resurrected body and a place in heaven. The helmet of salvation is crucial, but once you have it, there's no need to fear anything. So thank you for listening today, and next time we will cover the last part of that verse, 17, Ephesians six seventeen, where it says, The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Until then... May God bless you.